with your plan, your purpose, and your will, Lord Jesus. You're so worthy. You're so worthy. If we could just clap our hands to the Lord. Mighty God, great and mighty God, hallelujah. This is not on the scripture list, but felt impressed to read this this morning. 1 Corinthians 2. Verse 9 says, but as it is written, he's quoting out of Isaiah 64. But as it is written, I have not seen, ear hath not heard. Neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. We have no idea, folks, what's coming. There's a whole bunch of people in Cape Coral and Fort Myer, Florida, that one day they were sitting in their house having dinner. Everything was good. 24 hours later, their house was gone. Everything they owned was gone. They didn't plan for that. They they kind of saw it coming, but they had no idea what was really going to happen. But all of a sudden, their life changed. Their life was turned upside down. And we go through our life sometimes, and we just think, we expect it to just be the same every day. And we have no idea. It just says it right there, and that's, the apostle is, He's really quoting the Old Testament. It's written. That prophet said that. Eye hath not seen. Ear hath not heard. It's not even entered into your heart. What could happen today? You could be driving home and your life could be snuffed out in a moment. Semi crossing the interstate. Some driver fell asleep. We have to understand and realize that God has all things. God allowed a hurricane to come and wipe out some people's homes in Florida. You can believe that if you want to. I believe it. Because my Bible says that Jesus stopped the wind and the rain. Just by his words. And if he's God robed in flesh, that means God's in control of all things. Weather, COVID, you name it. He's in control of all of that. If it happens, he allows it. He allowed the plagues, the ten plagues in Egypt. He allowed that. He matter of fact, he brought it. And so we, we, are, we need to just be so thankful that we are privileged and honored to be here today. In his presence. And we need to enter into this service today, whether it's me speaking or the pastor speaking or whoever speaking. We need to enter into this place every day, every time we're here, every day that we live, that we wake up and we need to ask ourselves and we need to ask God, what do you have in store for me today? Because eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. Neither has it entered into the heart. We expect the status quo. We expect to follow our own routine and do our same thing we do every day. I do too. I expect on Monday mornings I'm going to get up and go to work. And then I'm going to go to work Monday through Friday and get off Friday and have the weekend. We, we live like that. But what if God changed all that up on us? What if God sent some kind of a storm in our life, whether it's a physical hurricane or something else, that totally disrupts and upsets the whole apple cart in our life? How are we going to handle that? And why would he do that? Why would he do that? (laughs) Why would he do that? Well, one reason is because he said, 
that we're supposed to bear fruit. And then after he said we're supposed to bear fruit, what did he say? And if you bear fruit, I'm going to come along and purge you so that you'll bear more fruit. My understanding is that when they grow grapes every year, every season, they completely cut the branches back to the to the to the start to the stump of the grapes, because those those branches will grow more grapes next year if you leave them, but they won't be as sweet, won't be as good as the grapes that grew off of them the first time. So my understanding, if you all know better than me, please tell me. But my understanding is they cut it all the way back so that that vine will grow new branches, new grapes, and they'll be just as sweet as last year's grapes. Isn't he the vine? Aren't we the branches? And if they naturally pur- purge branches, if, if, if horticulturalists naturally tell you that it's, you have to cut your bushes back if you want them to grow, some things you have to cut them clean back to the ground for them to grow right. How much more should we expect God to purge us? How does he do that? Many ways. One of the ways he does that is right here in this setting. The washing of the water by the word. He comes, we don't, I don't come here expecting to be comfortable. (laughs) If you do, Lord help you. I don't want to be comfortable in church. Do you? You need to go to a different church if that's what you're looking for. We don't come here to be comfortable. Every time Jesus spoke, even when He was softly speaking, He was challenging people. Breaking, just totally breaking the mold and challenging their status quo. I want that. I don't want to be satisfied and settled with where I'm at. Because we are His hands and His feet. We are the body of Christ. If if somebody's diabetic and their toes on the end of their foot start getting all messed up, what do they do? What? They cut them off, right? I know a guy that started with his toes and they ended up cutting him all the way up to here. Because if they left that there, what would happen? It would just start rotting the rest of the body. I know that sounds gross, but it's true. I want the body to be healthy. Don't you? I want to be as part of the body. I want to be a healthy part of the body. Jesus' name. I don't know why he had me say that. but There you have it. If you got an issue with it, I'm out of the Word. Take it up with God. <laughs> right? We believe that God spoke through those prophets in the Old Testament, don't we? We believe that God spoke through Peter on the day of Pentecost. We believe that God spoke when he sent Peter to Cornelius. We believe that. We need to believe that about today. Don't we? Because he's the same. He never changes. Methods change. God's ways never change. God's plan, God's purpose, God's will never changes. He remains steadfast. Praise God. Exploring God's Word. We're going to get through verse uh, lesson 11 today. So yesterday we left off, or last week, boy, it seems like yesterday, doesn't it? <laughs> Days are getting shorter. It's winter time, right? Next month, they're turning the clocks back again. I wish they'd quit doing that. Just leave the clocks alone. November, right? Turn the clocks back. I don't know. I don't know if they let that. I don't know if they let that. It's still on the calendar. It's on the government calendar that I look at every day at work. So we'll see. We'll see come November if they change it back or not. There was an effort to get rid of it. I wish they would have, but oh well. That's not going to stop God from doing what God needs to do, is it? Oh, the clock's turned back. Now what do I do? That's not what God says. Not at all. He overcomes. We left off on Lesson 10. We were discussing about how the Lord had used the disciples, these Jewish disciples, 
specifically Peter and Paul, to bring the gospel message to the Gentiles. And we all should be shouting right now. Unless you're Jewish, we should be shouting right now. Because he brought it to the Gentiles, because a man like Cornelius, who was a Gentile, prayed and had a prayer life and had a life of prayer, really. Because of that, God sent, gave Peter a dream, and then he sent him over there to preach to him. Now, if you, can, you can believe this if you want. I think it was the same angel that talked to Cornelius, went over there and talked to Peter. <laughs> I just believe that. Because God wasn't going to just leave it to the Jews. He, because he said in the book of Acts, through Peter, what did he say? For this promise is unto you and to your children. What does that mean? Your lineage. Your children, their children. Their, your great-great-grandchildren and your great-great-great-grandchildren that are going to come along long after you're gone. This promise is unto whosoever will. And so God, by His own Word, had to open this up to the Gentiles. And thank God He did. We've been grafted in, folks. But you know what? If a vine doesn't produce fruit, what happens to it? It's a principle. God cuts it away. Where's he? He puts it in the fire. I want to be bearing fruit. Amen. And Peter did speak those words, but God was really saying that through Peter. This promise is unto you and your children and all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, has God deemed it not to call certain people? Well, I'm going to save that one, but not that one. Is he doing that? He's not. He's making this available to whomsoever will. It's their choice, Pastor. They've got a choice to make. You had a choice to make. I had a choice to make. I could have looked for the door. Or I could have sat and stayed and listened to what was said, and I could have made my way to an altar. And that's what I did. But not everybody does that. Not everybody that comes in this door is going to want to hear this. But it's not up for us to decide who gets saved and who doesn't. Because the Lord adds to the church. So we're going to get into uh, lesson 11. I'll get it right here in a second. The destruction of Jerusalem. That was prophesied. The Old Testament prophets continually foretold the gathering again of the Jews to their land. Jesus told his disciples. He warned them of the coming events as disciples and believers so that they would be prepared. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked when this happens. He was preparing the church for the future trouble and persecution that would and will come upon the earth. Are we still in the book of Acts? So if Jesus said that if they hated you, they're going to hate me. If they persecuted you, they're going to persecute me. If those disciples in the in the book of Acts that went went before the the, the governmental leadership and were beaten for the, for the sake of the gospel and they counted themselves worthy and honored to be beaten for the sake of the gospel, is that going to, do we get out of that? So far we have. But eye has not seen, ear has not heard. You don't know what you're going to have to face. You don't know what they're going to do come tomorrow in Congress. You don't know what they're going to do. You don't know what freedoms they're going to take away from us. So we can't count on that stuff. The only thing we can count on is what's in that book. Luke 19, 41-44 says, And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. We wept over our city. Really, truly, in our heart of hearts. Jesus wept, as it were, great drops of blood over the fact that he had to carry all of our sins. Saying, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, 
if he had known what was coming, was going to come mess with your peace. But not thy, but not, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children with thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. What happened in Jerusalem in 70 A.D.? Titus came in. That's good, Brother Richard. Titus came in. Emperor Titus came in, and he completely took that temple down to the ground. Like they used to tell us in boot camp when they threatened us, they would say, you, you want to go to Leavenworth? You're going to make big rocks into little rocks, little rocks into bricks, bricks into sand, sand to dust, and dust to nothing. I don't know why I remembered that. <laughs> it was impactful, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Because <laughs> I had seen cartoons of people breaking big rocks into little rocks. I thought, I don't want to do that. But that's what happened. They turned it to powder, literally. Matthew twenty-three thirty-three through 38 Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from, your, from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. God even knew exactly the spot where they did it. <laughs> he saw them do it. They weren't getting away with anything. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Christ weeps over Jerusalem. Luke 30, okay, 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou killest the prophets and stonest them that... Them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children unto, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Why was Jerusalem destroyed? After the death of Christ, the Jews revolted against the Roman rule. In the year 70 A.D., General Titus and the Roman army laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. The smaller influential towns and cities of the Hebrews had already been subdued. The people of Jerusalem would now feel the strong might of the Roman Empire. The city was totally destroyed because, A, this was God's judgment on their sin. B, the Romans wanted to stamp out Jewish religion and see the Romans wanted to destroy the Jewish nation. They would like nothing better in this country today than to get rid of all the Christians. Would anybody disagree with that? You, you, you only have to watch a cursory amount of news or listen to it on the web or whatever to know that. Because we are just getting in the way of their agenda. We don't want any babies killed. And so on and so on and so on. And we are just getting in the way of their agenda. And they would just like nothing better than to be rid of all of us. But I got news for them. <laughs> the more you stomp on a, grass, a gas fire, the more it's just going to spread out. The more they persecuted the church in the New Testament, the more they grew. Even today in places like China where they're, and other countries where they're throwing Christians in jail, it's just making the matter worse. <laughs> they're not getting rid of them. They're just growing all the more. That, just, that influences people that aren't in jail yet saying, man, he's in jail and he's still preaching the gospel. If he can do that, I'm going to do it. Wouldn't that motivate you? Some people it wouldn't. Some people, stuff like that motivates them to, to run for the hills. And the, that's okay. The Bible said that's going to happen. Even the very elect. 
Who's the elect? Point at yourself. That's us. We're the elect. Even the very elect are going to be deceived into believing that my life is so valuable I cannot give it up for Jesus. My Bible says my life is not my own. That I'm bought with a price. The destruction was quite the feat itself. The historian Josephus said that some stones were 94 feet long. I didn't know this. 13 feet thick and over 10 feet tall. Jesus told the disciples, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Destruction was total and complete. Wow. Did that have to happen? Absolutely it did. What did it? One of the things I think it did is it got the people of God out of their comfort zone. Stop going to the temple. So he just got rid of it. He got rid of it. And so what, what did he do? He caused them to go from house to house. And then when they kind of got comfortable in that, he sent more persecution. And made them spread out and go from city to city. That's how he did it. How many wants to, for God to do it that way in order for him to get our attention? How many wants that? Uh, volunteer for persecution. You already did. Sorry. <laughs> the day you put took his name on in baptism in Jesus' name, the day that the blood was applied to your life, the day that you were filled with the Holy Ghost, if you're not already, you can be. For those that are listening that aren't filled yet, it's available for you. Wow. It just boggles my mind sometimes to think of what we're a part of. And we just so take it for granted sometimes. We so, we so just want to have just good church. We, we so miss the whole point of all this. We really do. I do. I'll take, I'll, 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 I'll point to me, okay? I know about me. I don't want to take this for granted. I don't want to be satisfied with the status quo. I don't want to be settled for where I'm at. I don't want to be satisfied and settled with saying, well, God, I taught three people a Bible study in 33 years, so I'm, that's, I'm good, right? <laughs> Let somebody else turn. Have a turn, right? <laughs> it's not the way it works. Israel becomes a nation. The Bible states it over and over again that the Jews would return to the desolate land and rebuild what was destroyed. Prophecies of Israel. And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whether they be gone, and will gather them on every side, and bring them unto their own land, and I will make them... One nation in land upon uh, in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over to them to them all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all, and they shall dwell in the land and I land that I will get have given to them under Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. Ezekiel 37, 21 to 22, 25 and 26. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed... From the east, and gather thee from the west, and I will say to the north, Give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Isaiah 43, 5 and 6. He that scattered Israel will gather them. It wasn't just happenstance that they were scattered. God scattered them. 
God knows what He's doing. He does have a plan. We do need to get in the middle of His plan. Not say, hey God, here's my plan. Bless it. Not how it works. And we do that. I got a plan, God. How about this? How about, God, why don't I go pray and ask you what your plan is? And when you tell me, it's going to be a good plan. And it's going to work because it's your plan. How about we do that and just say, okay, God, this doesn't make any sense. I wouldn't have done it this way, but okay, you're God. We'll do it your way. Amazing how that works. Every time. No plan that God has ever come up with has ever failed. Ever. Ever. Never. I can say never on this one. God's plan has never, ever failed. As long as it's God's plan. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Isaiah 11 and 12. I will gather you from all nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. Jeremiah 29, 14. So Israel became a nation. Some of us were alive when that happened. The new nation of Israel is a result of the Jewish people coming back to Palestine. Their return to their homeland is one of the most one of the modern miracles of the 20th century. Israel became a nation on May 15, 1948. It was a powerful day. If you don't know about it, you need to go study it. You need to go Google it because it's out there. Despite strong resistance from Arab nations and surrounding it, and despite the persistent conflict, it has continued to exist as a nation. And it, and it goes on here saying, I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel, and I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled, pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. Amos 9, 14 through 15. If God brought them back there, they're staying there. Period. I don't care who tries to, to get them out of there, Brother Becker. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. And they're surrounded by enemies. Everybody wants to wipe them off the map. <laughs> but we had things like the Holocaust and you still couldn't wipe them out. Because those are God's people. He's not going to let that happen. He, did he let that happen? He absolutely did. I don't know why. Ask God, because I don't know why. God knows why. That's his business. Right? The times of the Gentiles. Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And I'm not going to read it because it's pretty lengthy. Daniel 2, verses 31 to 45. But I encourage you to go read it. About Daniel's dream. Or about Nebuchadnezzar's dream, actually. Daniel interpreted it. Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon. He reigned during the fall and captivity of the nation of Israel. Amazing how God does things sometimes. <laughs> Just amazing. One night he had a dream, this king, Nebuchadnezzar, this wicked king, that would, that would foretell events of the, uh, over the centuries. Mighty kingdoms would be represented in this dream. Israel was in Babylonian captivity because of its backsliding. Let's pause there for a minute. Does God know our backsliding? Does He? Is there anything He doesn't know? Nothing. Proverbs 14.14 says, The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. So is it possible to be a backslider in heart? Absolutely it is, if it says so right there. So 
all the more reason we really need to have a really, 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 really close relationship with our Heavenly Father. Because I don't know about you, but I want to know if even a little bit, if even just a smidge, if I'm backsliding in my heart. I want to know that. I want God to convict me of that. I want to know if I'm starting to slip back a little bit. I want to know if I'm starting to get a little comfortable with where I'm at. I want to know that. I don't want to be left like that. God, please don't leave me like that. Do whatever you got to do in my life to save my soul. Keep me ready and prepared for when you come. I don't want to be lost. Do you? Matthew seven twenty one through 23 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. And what's really interesting about that Lord, Lord, that's like master, owner. That's what they're saying. Do we think that when we say that? We sing that song, Master, Savior, Jesus. Do we really believe He's our Master to the point where we don't even have a say? That's a rhetorical question for you to think about. Shall, not, it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. That's a key statement right there. It's not about my will. Not my will, but thine be done. Right? It's not my will. I'm the clay. The clay doesn't tell the potter. Am I in the book? Clay don't tell the potter how to make it. You're just sitting there on the wheel waiting for him to make you the way he wants you to be. And the clay doesn't suddenly remold itself and say, I don't like being a cup. I want to be a pitcher. It doesn't work that way. He made you a cup. You're a cup. I'm sorry. You can want to be a pitcher all you want, but truth be known, if you were a pitcher, you'd be a really bad one. That's why he made you a cup instead. Because he knows you'd be a good cup. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied or proclaimed the counsel of God in thy name? In what day? What's that day? What is that day? What day? He's talking about saved, full of Holy Ghost filled, water baptized people here, I believe, right? Because if he's saying that we have prophesied in his name and cast out devils in his name, we can't do that without the Holy Ghost, can we? Without his spirit, right? And, that, and haven't we done many wonderful works in thy name? And he says, I will profess unto thee, I never knew you. What a horrible four words to hear. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, that do your own will. Was it up, up there further it said, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So we got to be doing the will of our Father. Not my will. Not the pastor's will. Not my parents' will. Yeah, if, if you're a child and you're submitted to your parents, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> That's Bible too. But as far as the will of God, we can't usurp God's will with our own will and say, and say, well, my, you know what, God? That's a good idea, but why don't we do it this way? Because I think this way is better. And he might let you do that. <laughs> it's not going to be God's will. <laughs> so who's to blame if it falls flat? Not God. For sure. So it was because of their backsliding. And through through this dream, God revealed who would rule over the land of the land during the coming centuries. Daniel was as a prophet who as a prophet of God had gained great respect in the kingdom of Babylon. Was called on to interpret the dream. In the dream, there was a great metal man. Do you have that slide up? There we go. Kind of hard to see. But the head was of gold. The breast and arms were of silver. If you read in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, you'll see this. His belly and thighs were made of brass. His legs were of iron. His feet and part, or part iron and part clay. A stone struck the feet and broke them into pieces. 
the image was destroyed and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor, which is really tiny stuff. That's the, when they throw it up in the air, the grain, the chaff, the wind takes the chaff and blows it away because it's too light to fall back down. That's how that works. The stone then became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Who was the stone? Hallelujah. The stone that the builders rejected. The head of gold represented Babylon, which ruled the Jews in the Middle East at the time of the dream. The kingdom lasted from 606 B.C. to 538 B.C. The city of Babylon was at the zenith of its influence during this time. The hanging gardens of Babylon were one of the seven wonders of the world. The city's 14 square miles were guarded by walls 350 feet high and 87 feet thick. Over one million inhabitants of the city never thought it would fall, but it did. Going back to what I said at the beginning, I have not seen. Well, we'll never have a hurricane in Wisconsin, right? (laughs) Probably not. But some other horrible catastrophe could happen here. We could have a snowmageddon this year. Don't laugh. <laughs> we got a we we there's a there's a pastor in Maryland that's got a building that's flat flat on the ground from a snow that snowed in Maryland and completely collapsed his building on his birthday. And he thought his his ministers that called him were just joking with him because it was his birthday. And when he drove over there and couldn't get up the road and had to walk up the road, he saw it for himself. So I'm not saying that's what's going to happen here, but you get what I'm saying? Anything's possible. That man never expected that building to collapse over some snow, but it did. God was doing something through that, wasn't he? I don't even know all the details, but I know that's what happened. In 538 B.C., Babylon fell to the Medes and the Persians. This is the part about the breast breast and arms of silver. Darius was the king of the Medes. The Persians eventually became dominant. This kingdom, initially a dual kingdom as portrayed by the two arms, was the last until 330 B.C. The belly and thighs of brass represents Greece. Alexander the Great came out of the west with conquest on his mind. He conquered the Persian Empire in 330 B.C. and established an empire based on Greek language and culture. After Alexander's death in 323 B.C., the empire was divided into four parts among his four generals. The Grecian Empire lasted until 160 B.C. when the Romans conquered it. God was given a vision. God was saying, I know all things. I know who's going to be in charge how long they're going to be in charge, and when they're done, I'm going to make sure that they are wiped out. And that's exactly what happened. The Roman Empire, the legs of iron. The legs represented the Roman Empire, which lasted for many centuries. In later years, it was divided into eastern and western divisions. Now we're getting down to the feet of iron and clay, revived Roman Empire. The feet portray a revived Roman Empire, a ten-nation confederacy represented by Ten toes, Daniel 7, 7 through 8, Revelation 17 and 12. This world power will, will rise on the territory of the original Roman Empire in the last days. And during this time, the Antichrist will begin his rule of the world. All this was led, all this will lead to the great tribulation and the battle of Armageddon. So we are living in the middle of a prophecy that God gave to a wicked king in the form of a dream. That just boggles my mind. God knows in detail. If he knows that much detail about the world, how much in detail does he know about me and you? I don't care if you're saved or not. If you're on this, if you're listening online, you've never heard this message before. God knows every detail of your life. He knows your phone number. Ask, well, if you, if you could, ask Nona Freeman. When she couldn't get the phone company to make a phone call for her from overseas, God made the phone call for her. He made the phone ring of her family member in the States, and he made her phone ring at the same time. 
And when the lady from the phone company called and said, okay, I'm ready to make your call, she said, I don't need it. I've already talked to him. There's no way you could have done that. We're the only ones that could connect you. Well, I don't know what to tell you, lady, but my phone rang and her phone rang, and we've talked for an hour or whatever it was. That's God. He knows your de- He knows every detail. He knows if you're going to have cancer or not. The Bible says He knows the day of your birth and the day of your death. So, if that's true, you don't have to worry about dying, do you? You don't. You don't have to fear death. Hallelujah. You don't have to fear death. Because He's got it in His hand. So there's nothing you're going to do to stop that. So what do you have to do then? Live your life. Just live. Not for yourself. Live for Him. Work for Him. Make yourself available for Him. Believe me, when you, when you look at all that happened on Calvary, I think you could say He made Himself available for us. More, in more ways than one. None of us would go through that right now. If asked to, we wouldn't do it. But He did it for us. The very least we could do is say, whatever you want me to do, God, I'll do it. I don't care what it is. Whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to say, whoever you want me to talk to, Whoever you want me to have sitting in my kitchen in my living room teaching a Bible study, I'll do it. No matter what they look like. No matter what they smell like. No matter what they act like. Nothing. Nothing matters. If you really mean that, if you really truly want to serve God, if you really truly mean that you belong to Him and you'll do whatever He asks you to do, you'll do that. Even if it, especially if it goes against your... Your comfort zone. Okay? Praise God. The stone we already determined was Jesus Christ. He's going to rule and reign. And we're living in that day right now where He's coming. And if you don't think He's coming, you're not paying attention. If you really don't think He's coming... You just you just need to wake up. And what did the Bible say that we're supposed to do when we see that day approaching? Don't don't get distracted when you're looking up. Spiritually look up. Stay busy about your father's business. Because he he would that all men might be saved, right? He's not willing that any should perish. Any. So, if he said that, then we don't have the right to prejudge any individual out there. Everybody gets an opportunity to hear the gospel. Everybody deserves an opportunity to at least hear it. What they do with it after that is their business. What happens after that is their business and God's business. Sister Bell, if they don't want to buy a vacuum cleaner for me, I'm just going to say thank you and walk down the street to the next door and knock on the next door. Figuratively speaking, if somebody doesn't want to hear this, if they want to spit in your face and call you this and call you that, they're not calling you that. They're calling him that. They hate me. They don't hate you. They hate me. You just take that. You just go with that mindset. And if they don't want it, fine. I'm not wasting my time here. I I told you what you need to know. If you don't want to run with it, that's your business. Next. How are we going to win them? There's how many people in lacrosse? 51,000. That's not counting all those college students that come and go at three different colleges. So (laughs) 70,000. We've got to do something different, folks, if we're going to reach 70,000 people. <laughs> That's not even counting West Salem, Barda, and all the little townships in between there. Wow. This is just a Bible study. Signs of the end times. 
the Olivet Discourse. Matthew 24 is a great significance when studying the end time. After Jesus predicted the fall of Jerusalem, his disciples asked him privately while sitting on the Mount of Olives, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and, uh, and of the end of the world? Matthew 24 and 3. Jesus outlined several things of major consequence that would happen in the last days. People can now understand from the fulfillment of many of these signs that the coming of the Lord is drawing near. Before enumerating these happenings, Jesus gave severe warnings, saying, Take heed that no man deceive you. Or you could read it, Take heed that no man deceive you. Can men deceive us? My Bible says that in the last days there will be false prophets. There's going to be people that are going to come before you that are going to claim that they got the truth and they're going to be preaching a gospel that's so far off of what this, the gospel in this book says it's just not even funny, but they're going to be deceivers. Don't be, what did Jesus say? Be careful that you don't be deceived. Many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. Verse 5. There are hundreds of different types of religions today, from Eastern religions to watered-down denominationalism, from radio and television voices to staid, beautiful cathedrals. People can easily be deceived and led astray if they do not have a basic knowledge of the Word of God. That's just a basic knowledge. You better know that you know that you know what that book says. I know we can't know all the revelation that's in there. We just can't. But he's going to give us revelation as we study, as we pray, as we seek his face. He's going to give us more and more and more revelation as we can handle it. I'm not where I was 33 years ago as a new convert. I'm way farther along than I was then, but I'm, as I look forward from where I'm at now, I'm way far away from where I even desire and want to be or need to be. So I, I can't stop. Studying, I can't just read it. I got to study it. I got to meditate on it. I got to know what it's. What are you saying, God? Because He's no respecter of persons. He's not just going to give revelation to certain people. Just the special ones. <laughs> You're a special one. You all are. <laughs> they that do hunger and thirst, prerequisite. Stay hungry. Stay thirsty. People can easily be deceived. Take heed that no man deceive you. The truth shall make you free, right? You shall know the truth. How do you know it? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, right? We come before a preacher and we, we come and we hear the Word, the word of God preached, but sometimes we, we got to know it for ourselves. Now, those people in the New Testament didn't have a Bible. There was no Bible. When was the first Bible printed? <laughs> that German guy that had to print, created that printing press, right? Gutenberg? And when was that? 1600s or something like that. <laughs> so there was no written Bible. There were scrolls, but nobody could read. So how did they know? God had to... He had to quicken it to them by the Holy Ghost. That had to be how it was. So if He can do that for them, He can do that for us. Can't He? He can. Wars and rumors of wars talks about in verse 6. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Verse 7. The 20th century has, been, has seen two major world World wars unprecedented in human history and countless smaller wars. Numerous wars are being fought at any given time. There's, there's wars going on in this world that you don't even know about. Never sees the light of day in the media. There's all kinds of little wars going on. This continues on until the 21st century, which we are in now. Famines and pestilences. Record dry spells have been recorded in many places while floods have ravaged some normally dry lands. With drought has come famine in many areas of the world. Famines, diseases, and epidemics have killed millions. Earthquakes in diverse places. Destructive earthquakes have become more and more numerous and severe. Geologists and seismologists claim that 
<clears throat> there will even be more severe earthquakes in the days ahead. There is a website that you can go to that shows live all the earthquakes that are happening right at this very second while we're standing here while I'm speaking. And it shows the whole globe and you can see them happening. It's just, it'll blow your mind. It'll blow your mind. Marrying and giving in marriage. Verse 38. In the United States, the divorce rate has risen to about 50%, probably more than that, of marriages. This is not just true in the U.S., but true in many nations. People continue to go on their normal pursuits of life, thinking that things will always go on as before, not realizing that Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. More than one mile over me. Many will meet their doom. Trumpets will sound. That's a fact. That's going to happen. I don't want to fall in that many will meet their doom part. Do you? I want to be ready. So a question. Do our actions and attitudes indicate how seriously we believe that we are truly living in the last days? It's a question you need to ask yourself. Do my actions, do my attitudes, does my spirit, do my, my preconceived ideas or whatever you want to call it, does my lifestyle indicate to people around me and to God that I'm taking this serious? Why am I doing this Bible study? Anybody remember? <laughs> One more Sunday. <laughs> Why am I doing this? What's the point? I'm sorry. So we can go teach Bible studies. I mean, come on, y'all. Brother DeMuth is not this, the smartest, sharpest pencil in the box, okay? I'm not. If I can do this up here, I can do it in front of somebody in my kitchen. Probably even easier because it's a more relaxed environment. And I'm not on camera. <laughs> Smile, you're on candid camera. Some of y'all lost some of y'all with that one. <laughs> we can do this. Somebody had to teach you a Bible study. Somebody did, to some form or fashion. And if they didn't, that's no excuse to not teach a Bible study. Well, God, I'm sorry. I was never taught one, so, gee, I guess that just knocks me out of contention with that one, right? Nope. Did he give us all power, all authority? Did he give us talents and abilities? If we go and teach a home Bible study, is he going to sit there in a the room with us and help us? So what excuse do we have? Why aren't we doing it? I don't know. I've been praying. We live, we've been living in Sparta for three years. I've been praying for God to send me somebody hungry, and I've been talking to everybody. But it hasn't happened. I don't know why. But he's going to. Like my wife just said, it's coming. It's coming. I'm telling you right now. It's going to go one day from no Bible studies to four or five. Just like it did for that pastor in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Him and his wife couldn't get a Bible study to save their life, seemed like. Then all of a sudden they had like one every night of the week. And they almost had to go to God and say, oh, can we... This is enough right now. We've got to have a night to sleep. Like if God doesn't know that, right? <laughs> but that's how it happens. And you see, when God sent them and God set it up, I think the vast majority of those people that they've been teaching are still in church. So I'm not going to not go out and beat the bushes. But I'm not going to drag people kicking and screaming in my house and make them receive a Bible study. But if they're hungry... That's what I've been praying, driving around Sparta. Show me the hungry people. Drive around your neighborhood. God, show me where the hungry people live. Because there's people in their living rooms, in their bedrooms at night, crying out to God. I don't even know what to call you. But if you're real, send me somebody. There's people like that in this city. They're sleeping under viaducts. That are praying, God, if you're real, get me out of this. Hallelujah. 
Paul's warning about the last days. Paul wrote to Timothy about the perilous conditions of the last days, giving several signs. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Wow. <laughs> Tell me God didn't know we were going to live in 2023, 2022, right? <laughs> Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Wow. Unthankful. Well, that, you could just go for days talking about that one. We live in an unthankful generation. Everybody's a victim. Unholy. They don't want to be separated. They want to do what they want to do. They, want, they don't want to be submitted to anybody or anything. They just want to do what they want to do. We've got to be careful. We don't let that spirit creep in the church. Without natural affection. <laughs> Could go on for days with that one. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, not restraining physical appetites. That's what incontinent means. Fierce. Despisers of those that are good. Anybody feeling this right now? Traitors. Heady. High-minded. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And some of this has crept into churches. Having a form of godliness or piety or separation, having a form of it, but denying the power that comes with it. Denying the power thereof. Just a religious exercise. That's what that's talking about. Just exercising religion. Going through the motions. Doing what we've always done whether it's in the book or not. And then Paul's final words at the end of that were actually pretty powerful. From such, turn away. Try to save them. Try to, try to preach the gospel to them. Try to at least tell them that, they, that they're going to live in a devil's hell if they don't turn from their ways and turn to this gospel. At least try to tell them. And if they don't want to hear it, you've done your job. You've done your job. You've stood, on the, you've stood on the wall and you've shouted. Okay? You did your job. I don't want their blood on my hands, do you? At least they heard it. They're going to have no excuse. No excuse when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Because he's going to, I don't know if he's going to play a video or what. Oh. But Sister Linda right here told you on this street corner, on this day and this year, and you rejected it. So now what do you got to say for yourself? Nothing. Crickets. No words. So really, people are going to go to hell because, as I heard one preacher say, the preponderance of evidence is going to be so great against them that they're going to have no grounds to defend themselves. That's a legal term. The preponderance of evidence, when they put somebody away in prison for life, the preponderance of evidence against them is so great, there's no way they can deny they didn't do that. They didn't commit that murder or whatever it was, that capital crime. So, I want to be busy about my father's business. You need to want the same. You need to want that. I can't make you want it. Brother Becker can't make you want that. You've got to ask God to give you a desire. You've got to ask God to give you a hunger and a thirst. You've got to ask God to give you a love for souls to the point that it just so overtakes and overwhelms your life that you can't wait for the next Bible study. That's how it's going to happen, folks. That's how it's going to happen. Well, Brother Demuth, what's your plan of action for Sparta? Pray. Seek the will of God. Wait for Him to open the door. Because I could go force some doors open if I want. Does that mean it's going to work? I want it to work. I want there to be a work in Sparta in the worst way that you could even imagine. But I can't just go make it happen. Because then it's just me. But if I let God make it happen, all i got to do is show up. Do what He says to do. Say what He says to say. He'll take care of the rest. 
He'll add to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's all stand. Father, we love you today. We praise you today. And thank you for this opportunity to be in the midst of your people, in the midst of your presence, in the midst of your angels, God, that you would send, O oh God, a spirit and a hunger of thirst and desire among us, O oh God, to do your work, to do your will, to be a light to this glorious gospel, to a lost world around us. Lord, give us opportunity, Lord Jesus. Send us, O oh God. Give us sensitivity to your spirit to know and to discern when you're directing us in a particular direction. Father, give us a love for the lost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.